Good morning. Our plan this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to a couple of passages of Scripture. We'll gather our hearts at the throne of grace once more, and then we'll commence our study this morning. So please open your Bibles to two passages in the New Testament. First of all, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, and then James, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul is writing his very last letter inspired by the Spirit to his young son in the faith, his servant there in the church of Ephesus, Timothy. And he writes, beginning in verse 13, to set the context, but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then turn over, if you would, to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5 and reading through verse 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. <clears throat> but let him ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let's gather our hearts once more in the presence of our Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Our Father, we are reminded in the hymn that we have just sung, that the Word of God indeed is able to make us wise. It's able to direct us between the 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 difficult and dangerous uh, reefs that we may strike and founder our souls upon. Indeed, it is a chart and compass that through all of these things in life will direct us to our heavenly destination. It will remove the mists and the fog and enable us to see things clearly. Indeed, even as has already been prayed, it is, it is the, the, the seed that will by your grace, be planted in our hearts that would put down roots and bear up fruit to eternal life, bearing that kind of fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Indeed, it is the 
heaven-drawn picture of Christ, the living word. And so, Lord, help us to see him with the eyes of faith. Help us to hear his voice, that the stamp of his powerful word would be impressed upon our hearts, that it would help us for time and prepare us for eternity. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Proverbs. I'm not going to do what I did this morning when I introduced our study in the book of Jonah, when I said, well, let's read the first 48 verses of the book of Jonah, which included, of course, all four chapters. I'm not going to ask you to read with me, well, I don't know how many verses there are in the book of Proverbs, but well more than 48. But I invite you to read with me the first nine verses of Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. <clears throat> a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel, to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a gracious wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Well, this morning I intend to begin a series of studies from this practical and often neglected book of the Bible. And my plan is to ponder this book's major themes. We're not going to be doing a verse-by-verse -verse exposition. Today I simply want to introduce our study. And my purpose is not to sketch Solomon's life, but to introduce him this morning as the author of of Proverbs. So this morning we're going to consider the inspired penmen of Proverbs, and we're going to look specifically at Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. And as we look at Solomon's unparalleled wisdom, we're going to look at the sources of his unparalleled wisdom, the fame, the record, and finally the focus of this wise king's unparalleled wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Let's just jump right in with both feet. And first of all, consider the sources of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. God, in his providence and gifting, prepared Solomon to write Proverbs. Notice first the divine source 
of Solomon's wisdom. Solomon's wisdom did not come from himself. He wasn't born with it. It was something that was given to him as a gift from God. And we know from what we've read that God made the young king the object of his special favor. Notice the evidences of God's special favor towards Solomon. First of all, the Lord regarded Solomon with special love, even as he had Solomon's father, David. And therefore, God gave him a special name as a token of his favor. And we know that from what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, at the very beginning of Solomon's life. This is after the death of Uriah the Hittite, after David had taken Uriah's wife into his own home and made her to be his wife. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. And the name Jedidiah means beloved of Jehovah. He's beloved of the Lord. And names in the Bible mean things, especially names that are given by God. Jesus gave Cephas the name Peter. Gave him the name that means a rock. And here, God gives Solomon a name. He was named by David Solomon. God, through Nathan the prophet, gave him a special name. We might even call it a pet name that speaks of his love for Solomon, Jedidiah. The second and very remarkable evidence of God's special favor is the extraordinary measure of wisdom that he bestowed upon Solomon in response to his prayer. And I had Pastor Randy read that in our hearing this morning. Indeed, Solomon's wisdom, we see it right away in his request. He could have requested many other things that God recognized and mentioned. But what did Solomon request? He requested wisdom. And his request for wisdom indicated his wisdom already. He didn't ask the Lord for riches. He didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for the heads of his enemies. He asked for wisdom and discernment. His honesty and humility, as well as his trust in and dependence upon God, are evident in his prayer. Look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people. You have put me in the midst of these, this people that are your people to be the ruler and the guide of your people. Indeed, to be your representative upon the throne for this people. And thy servant, notice he places himself in, a, in, in the status of being a servant. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. This is the context of my rule. 
notice what he says. So, in, as a result of this, so give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? He says, I'm not outfitted and equipped for this task. It is, as it were to say today, it's beyond my pay grade. I can't rule your people. I don't have the native wisdom to do it. But Solomon asked God for wisdom. Notice, please the Lord. According to God's promise to him who seeks first God's kingdom and righteousness, all other things will be added. If he faithfully adhered to God's commandments, he would give him long life and honor and fabulous material wealth. Look at verse, verses 10 through 14. <clears throat> and it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. You ask God, a great God, great things. He gives great gifts. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been none like you before you, nor shall one be like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be anything among uh, be any among the kings like you in all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. And so the Lord not only granted Solomon wisdom, he granted them bonus blessings, material blessings, in addition to his unparalleled wisdom. No wisdom like Solomon's before him. No wisdom like Solomon's after him. That's where I get the expression, his unparalleled wisdom. Now I pause here for a couple of observations. First, the promise of wisdom to all who ask God in humble faith be belongs to all God's believing people. We saw that in James. If any man, anyone, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally, liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him not doubt. And so if we come to God admitting our ignorance, knowing that all wisdom resides in God, and we come with empty hands and bowed knee, God will give us wisdom. Indeed, we see it in Solomon, and Solomon was given wisdom beyond all men and riches beyond all men. But we see that God delights to give the gift of wisdom to those who ask Him. 
Second, and more especially, God delights to give wisdom to humble young people. Young King Solomon was barely 20 years old when he made this request. And that he asked God for wisdom is especially remarkable when you consider who he was. He was born a son of a great king. If anyone was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, it was Solomon. And yet he recognized, though he was a prince, he was a pauper when it came to wisdom. I'm young. I'm a child. I don't know my left hand from my right. How can I judge this great people unless you give me a measure of wisdom commensurate to my responsibility to judge this, your people? And so the Lord answers and gives this young man great wisdom. Do you know that humble dependence upon God is a rare gem in the crown of a young person? Especially Solomon. He thought he had everything. But he realized one thing he didn't have, that one thing needful. He needed wisdom and discernment. But such lowliness often pretends greatness. Proverbs 15 and verse 33. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And before honor comes humility. Those who humble themselves, God promises to raise up. And certainly he did in the case of Solomon. Now having considered the divine source of Solomon's wisdom, let us notice secondly, it's human source. It was no accident that Solomon was born to, raised by, and taught to love the Lord by godly parents. Their pious influence upon Solomon is suggested in what we read in 1 Kings 3 and verse 3. Now Solomon loved the Lord. Now we know that that's the work of grace in our hearts. We love him because what? He first loved us. So you not only have the grace of God, you have the example of parents. Now Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Jesus, uh, Solomon saw that in his father, that he loved Jehovah and he kept his commandments. He was taught by parental example to love the Lord as displayed in keeping his commandments. Solomon was taught by his parents, both by word and example, to love their God. Indeed, his father was the sweet psalmist of Israel. He beheld his father's devotion to the Lord. No doubt he would often go by his room and he would hear his father pleading with the Lord, crying out, confessing his sins, pleading for wisdom. Now it's apparent that David was nowhere near a perfect father. The scriptures record David with all of his warts and blemishes. And brethren, as a footnote, isn't that an indication that this word is inspired by God himself? Men usually don't record their blemishes. 
But the Bible declares him a technicolor of people that love the Lord. David was such a man. In fact, his failings cost him dearly in family strife. He had one son that raped his sister. He had another son who rose up in rebellion and drove him out of Jerusalem. And in his dying day, he had yet another son want to take over the kingdom. Indeed, snatch it from Solomon's hands. So you have, you have Amnon and Absalom and Adoniah, Adonijah, the three difficult A sons. That he was raised by a father whom God regarded as a man over his, uh, after his own heart, taught Solomon that Jehovah was worthy of his love and of his fear and of his obedience. So let me say here at this point that there's, there's hope for children that are raised in less than perfect homes. That God may yet do a work of grace in their hearts. But there's a lesson here for young people. Children, let me ask you. Do you know what the great privilege you have is? Well, it's not having the toys that you want, the clothes you want to wear, and good cooking from mom, and a very comfortable house to live in, and brothers and sisters to play with. Little do you know now how great is your privilege to be raised by godly parents who love the Lord. That is a privilege, the value of which is beyond estimation. Oh, may you improve upon it, as Solomon did, for your present happiness and your everlasting good. David's instruction and influence underlies Solomon's instruction to his own sons. The young king recalls the careful attention he paid to his father's teaching and the lessons he observed from his life. Solomon remembered being raised by David. The things that he was taught, those things were stored away in his mind. And so an experienced Solomon speaks with parental urgency. Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 4. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. He's pleading with his sons to not go in the way of folly. For I give you sound teaching. Don't turn away from it. Do not abandon my instruction, he says. And notice he's reflecting upon when he was a boy under his father's instruction. Verse 3. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. You see, he started his instruction David did of his sons, and Solomon speaking particularly of himself, from a very young age. He didn't wait until he got older. He started, as it were, catechizing him at the dawning of his consciousness when he was seated upon his knee. And this is what Solomon does to his own sons. 
He follows in his father's footsteps. It may also be that David's fatherly instruction of Solomon was supplemented and reinforced by tutoring received from Nathan the prophet. We know that God dispatched Nathan to bestow upon Solomon his special nickname, Jedidiah, at birth. And it is likely that Nathan continued to observe Solomon's life as a close family insider and faithful friend and prophet to his father David. We know that Nathan also chronicled Solomon's life. We read in 2 Chronicles 9 and verse 29. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon from first to last, are they not written in the records of Nathan the prophet? So I suggest to you that Nathan had input in the life of Solomon. And as I ponder this statement here, I offer this observation. Godly adults who are our close friends may exert a profound impact for good upon our children as they observe and interact with them. Perhaps this was the case of Nathan with Solomon. And I believe it's reasonable to expect that Nathan, who remained faithful to David all of his life, would have continued to encourage Solomon for David's sake in the things of God down to his dying day. If you're a parent and you have close friends and you're close to that family and you're close to their children, you carry those children up upon your heart with a special love second only to your own children. And you desire to have a positive Godly influence in their lives. Their primary influence, of course, is their parents. But you wish to have a secondary, supplemental influence upon them for their good. And I think this is probably the case with Nathan in the life of Solomon. So parents, there's a lesson here. There's a word here to encourage you to incorporate the influence of godly peers, other adults who will support your Christian instruction and example. Because sometimes when they, your children hear it from you, eh, rolls off their ears like water off a duck's back. But when they hear it from a godly confidant of years, sometimes they hear it with the authority they should have heard it from you. And it bends the nail over in their thinking. And it impacts them for their good. Liberals today preach, it takes a village to raise a child to promote their communist agenda. But there, there's an element of truth in, in their philosophy, and it's this. In promoting the Christian faith of your children, you have the supplementary resources of godly mature Christians, even the members of this church, to support you. Don't neglect their help and encouragement. At the very least, seek their wisdom to help you promote your children's wisdom and godliness. And if I can borrow from the person that made that common, that, that statement common, and tweak it a little bit, it takes a church to raise a child. Not just your own influence, but that of godly brothers and sisters. So that's something of the sources of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. 
Notice secondly, more briefly, the fame of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. The Lord marvelously answered Solomon's prayer for wisdom. Apparently soon afterward, he gave the young king a custom-made opportunity to demonstrate his God-given wisdom. Indeed, we read the story this morning. A crisis arose between two mothers involving a baby. Both came to Solomon, claiming to be the baby's mother. Solomon proposed a test that revealed the identity of the mother and exposed the pretender, displaying his tact and his keen insight already into human nature. And what was the result of Solomon's decision? We read that when all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God, this is what he prayed for, was in him to administer justice. Just exactly that for which he prayed. The wisdom the Lord gave Solomon exceeds the knowledge of the wisest of men of his day, before him, and ours, and beyond. The Bible seems to teach that he is the wisest man born to fallen parents. Certainly Adam was the wisest before he fell. The second Adam is the wisest because he possesses all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But Solomon was the wisest man born to sinful parents. So we are told in 1 Kings 4, verses 30 and 31, And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east, and all the wisdom of Egypt, which was known for its wisdom, its wise men. For he was wiser than all men. And then some of the wisest that had ever lived are named. Wiser than Ethan the Ezraite. And he has a psalm in the Psalter. Haman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And brethren, it's not surprising that foreign dignitaries from far and wide came to sit at the feet of Solomon and to learn his wisdom. 1 Kings 4, verses 30 and 34. And his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. Verse 34. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. They were beating a path to the throne room of the king. The most famous seeker of Solomon's godly wisdom was a royal lady who came from southern Arabia. We know her as the Queen of Sheba. Her audience with the king is recorded in 1 Kings 10, verses 1 through 9. And I'm not sure if you have this in your notes. If you don't, please turn there. Now, when the king of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, you see, this is godly wisdom, it's evident to all, she came to test him with difficult questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue, with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all <clears throat> that was in her heart. 
And Solomon answered all her questions. You see, she came with a list. She had things she wanted to ask Solomon. Maybe things that she thought she could trip him up on. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, especially a woman would appreciate these things, I think more so than a man. Men would too, but a woman has a particular eye for these things. The house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cup bearers, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She saw all these things and it knocked the wind out of her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report that I, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. You know, usually when news like this travels, it gets exaggerated. She says, you know, I came here thinking what I'd heard was exaggerated. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. You see, she came from a little town called Missouri. You know, she didn't believe it because she didn't see it. She comes and she sees it. And now she's a believer. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. And here's her conclusion. How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And is this not a further testimony that the Lord answered Solomon's prayer exceeding abundantly beyond all that he could have asked or thought. Solomon's wisdom foreshadows and is eclipsed by the wisdom of a greater than Solomon, God's only begotten and beloved Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, he's able to make men not only wise, but even more importantly, wise unto salvation. Indeed, wise men still seek him. So we've seen the sources, the fame of Solomon's wisdom. Now, notice, thirdly, the record of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. Dear ones, we are forever in God's debt that we have the inspired record of Solomon's wisdom. And this assures us of two important facts about Proverbs. First of all, the Proverbs are not the mere expressions of conventional wisdom. That some of these maxims were likely current in Solomon's day does not detract from their divine authority. Ungodly men can learn truths by their observation of life. that some of these maxims 
where current doesn't detract at all from their authority. That they are included in holy writ means that they are inspired truth. They are part of the authoritative word of God binding upon us as the record of God's will for us. Discussing the inclusion of Proverbs among the books that make up the canon of the Old Testament, one writer observes, The canon of the Old Testament appears to have been made up chiefly in the time of Ezra and under his divinely directed superintendence. The book of Proverbs, as forming a part of that canon, we regard as having been given by inspiration of God, and as having, therefore, in all its contents, the sanction of heaven. Our subjection to its dictates, therefore, is something quite different from mere deference to the judgment, judgment of a fellow man, of extraordinary sagacity and eminent wisdom, and of uncommon extent of observation and experience. Such a man, however unparalleled soever his natural and acquired endowments, is still fallible. His authority imposes no obligation, but considered as part of the divine oracles, the contents of this book bind our consciences. They're not just a collection of worldly wisdom. No. This writer goes on to say, they are from God, and not only may, but must be received and laid up in our hearts and practiced in our lives. It is not a book from which we may take or reject what we please. We can't come to the Proverbs like a smorgasbord and say, I'll take this and leave that. We must not presume to question the correctness of any of its maxims. Our only object must be to understand them rightly. When we do understand them, they are binding on us. We have simply to believe and obey. That's the book we're coming to. Second, the Proverbs ascribed to Solomon are supplemented under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit with inspired reflections of other men, two in particular. And those men are, are Agur in chapter 30 and King Lemuel in chapter 31. We also read that some of Solomon's writings, not originally included in the Proverbs of his day, were later discovered and transcribed and added to Proverbs by men under the supervision of King Hezekiah, as we read in Proverbs 25 and verse 1. Later Ezra may have compiled and transcribed portions of Proverbs. Finally, Solomon's knowledge is nothing short of prodigious. If it could be said of any man who ever lived other than our Savior, he was truly the Renaissance man. In addition to his inspired sagacity, he was an expert in all manners of science. He was a scientist, he was a naturalist, as well as being a philosopher. 1 Kings 4, verses 32 through 34. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005, 
And he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. But Solomon dedicated his wisdom not to exploring science, but to expounding sacred truth. The man I quoted goes on to say, The Bible is not given to teach us philosophy, but religion. Not to show us the way to science, but the way to holiness and to heaven. Notwithstanding, therefore, the extent and variety of Solomon's knowledge in botany, in natural history, and other departments of science, none of his discoveries or his speculations on such subjects are preserved. But his Proverbs are. And notice finally, having seen the source, the fame, the record, now finally the focus of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom. wisdom. The focal point of Solomon's unparalleled wisdom is the instruction of others, particularly, particularly the instruction of children. First his own, and then others. In fact, the word son or sons, or my son, or sons, is found some 50 times in the book of Proverbs. And since the Bible is the golden casket where gems of truth are stored, the book of Proverbs is a treasure trove for old and young, for parents, as well as, and especially for children. For parents especially, you have this you may discover invaluable insights to assist you in your sacred duty to raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and to encourage them to seek the blessings of true wisdom in this world that is filled with so much folly and meaninglessness. True wisdom and meaning found in the book of Proverbs. And children... If you give yourselves to learning and practicing the precepts and the principles of this book, you may come to know the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of true wisdom and knowledge. That's the grand purpose of it all. By practicing the teaching of this book, you will avoid becoming conformed to this world, but rather you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, to use the language of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. By taking to heart Solomon's teaching, you may become acquainted with a greater than Solomon and become wise unto salvation, which comes through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Children, wisdom calls to you. Your parents plead with you. The Lord beseeches you. Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Proverbs 2 and verse 5, Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. 
Well, that's all I have to say this morning by the way of, of our introduction to the Proverbs, but I would lead a, leave us with the abiding message of our study this morning. Brethren, let us approach the study of Proverbs with a sense of eager anticipation, with an attitude of humble reception, and with prayer for God's special benediction. Let us approach the study of Proverbs with a sense of eager anticipation, with an attitude of humble reception, and with a prayer for God's special benediction, His blessing. Let us respond to the teaching of Solomon in the same way the noble Bereans did to the preaching of Paul. They received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures day, daily to see whether these things were so. Might we come with a teachable, humble spirit to receive what God would have for us in these 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs. And if we would fatten our souls upon the truth and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, let us earnestly plead with God, even as Solomon did, to confer his own blessing upon our study of this most practical book. God gave Solomon a deposit of truth. This wisdom is intended for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Let us anticipate great blessing in our study of these things and in our practice of these things. So let us ask and seek and knock, pleading with God that we might receive the blessing of His wisdom, to use the language of our Savior, given to us in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring into our lap. And I suggest the degree to which we come to this teaching with eager anticipation, humble recognition, and a prayer for God's special benediction, we will be blessed proportionately. So let us therefore ask that God would give me help as I prepare and to us as we hear the Word of God in this series. Let us pray as Solomon did acknowledging our ignorance, even our folly, pleading with God to give us a wise and an understanding heart that we might know and love and practice the truth as it is in Jesus, that we might be more and more conformed to Him who is the truth incarnate, even our Lord Jesus Christ, that God may be more and more glorified in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, even as we approach the book of Proverbs, we pray that our hearts would be eager in anticipation of receiving blessing, that we would come to the book of Proverbs with the same humble dependence upon you to open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. Let us confess our ignorance and our folly that we might come to know wisdom indeed the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for parents that the, this study would help equip them 
would hone, as it were, the sword of the Spirit, burden their hearts for the salvation of their young people, to encourage them in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and for the children who come, that you would give them large ears and a voracious heart to hear and to feed upon these things that they might grow in respect to Christ, coming perhaps to faith in Him or growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Lord, hear us as we present our needs before You. You're delighted when we come to You asking for wisdom with a disposition of absolute dependence upon You for all things. Might You give us soft hearts that would bear the impress of Your truth as we come to consider these precious maxims from the pen of Your your son Solomon. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the true Jedediah, the one who is loved of God and is God. Amen.